0: Kate Obenshain is one of the best conservative women leaders in the country, and I am honored to introduce her tonight as a leader and as a friend. Now you all have biographies of Kate in your folder, the speaker bios, and in the dinner program, going through the details of her incredible career and accomplishments. So I want to mention some things that I didn't see in the folder. I first got to know Kate when she was studying English at the University of Virginia, where she was a student leader there, like many of you are or will be soon on your campuses. I especially remember Kate for running the biggest rally in the entire nation around 1991, right? To support the troops in the Gulf Wars. What Kate did is she brought former Vietnam prisoner of war Jeremiah Denton, who was then a U.S. Senator from Alabama, to a college campus for the first time for this rally. Denton, you may recall, was the Vietnam POW who blinked in Morse code the word torture when the Communists in Vietnam were filming him for propaganda purposes. And he alerted the U.S. military and, and U.S. citizens to the dreadful conditions our POWs were enduring in Vietnam. And what Kate did with this rally of thousands of students from Virginia and nearby states was essentially to shut down the left on the Gulf War. The rally was so successful, it made the left recognize they probably were not gonna have the success with their anti-war campus activities that they had previously during the Vietnam War. And Kate had a great model for leadership right in her family. When Kate was just a little girl, Her dad fought a mighty battle to become US Senate nominee for the Republican Party in 1978. Her father, Richard Obenshain, had been chairman of the Republican Party in Virginia and was the primary person responsible through his work, through his networking, through his travel all over the state in shifting Virginia from a conservative-leaning Virginia state to a Republican conservative state. There were three men vying for the nomination that year in 1978. And there was a convention in Richmond, Virginia. My husband and I had just recently moved to Virginia. uh, And it was the first uh, political event that I'd ever been to in Virginia. And this nomination went all day and all night, ballot after ballot after ballot. She was there. Kate was nine. And I remember when her father spoke at the podium, it's this huge convention center, and we were up in the peanut gallery, and Kate and her siblings stood around her father. She was just a little girl, pretty little dress, and her dad beat the others and became our nominee for the U.S. Senate in 1978. Tragically for Kate's family and Virginia and the nation, her father was traveling to a campaign event in a small plane that crashed and Kate's dad was killed. The man who came in second to Dick was John Warner, so the party gave him the slot and he won the election for Virginia Senate and he he ran, he was Senator for a couple of terms, but Warner compounded the catastrophe of losing Obenshain as he was an extremely unreliable vote for conservatives in the U.S. Senate and he had this maddening propensity to endorse Democrats over conservative Republicans over the years. And you won't be surprised to learn that he just endorsed Hillary Clinton for president. Yuck. (laughs) Now for Kate, in addition to this incredible career as a board member of the Claire Booth Luce Policy Institute, as the person who established the incredible campus lecture program for Young America's Foundation, as the vice chairman of the Virginia State Council for Higher Education, as the first woman chairman of the Virginia Republican Party, as a key aide to Governor George Allen, and then his chief of staff for a time when he was senator. In addition to all that, Kate produced four beautiful children, three sons and an incredible daughter, Lucy, who I want to be mine. (laughs) Because of these accomplishments and many more, Kate is the perfect person to end this summit in North Carolina which is a celebration of great conservative women and conservative ideas. Please join me now in welcoming <clears throat> Kate Ovenshire.
1: Thank you all so much. Oh gosh, Michelle, that was that was a great introduction. I can't stand it when people read my very boring bio. So, how are you? <laughs> it's so good to see- it's good to see each and every one of your beautiful faces. Lil, it's so good to see you. My dear, dear friend back there who served um, on the State Board board of Education in Virginia was a huge champion for pushing back that crazy outcome-based education. Oh my gosh, she's a champion. So you need to get to know Lil Tuttle um, with Claire booth But Michelle, thank you for that beautiful introduction. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for lifting me up. I am a product, really, of the Claire Booth Luce Policy Institute. Yes, Young America's Foundation has had a huge role in my life, but it's these two organizations that I think are responsible for any good that I might have done, any help I might have been to freedom throughout uh, my life. I hope I've been some use to freedom, and I hope I'll continue to be, but that's why each and every one of you are here, because we want you to be lifelong champions for freedom. That is a huge undertaking, particularly for young women. It's not an easy thing, and you are going to be, do I need to leave this little thingy right here? So I can't move? I can't move, okay. No, I can't really move much. Okay, it's gonna be a problem. I'm gonna be going, oh like this the entire time because I cannot exactly stand still, so just, uh, you guys will see me dancing all over and get comfy because I've got so much to say to you tonight. I mean, I have, this, I have all these notes which I will not look at probably once, but you'll be appreciative if I do. Um, so just please get comfy and think of things that you want to ask me, so really get comfy because we're going to be here a while. Um, afterwards, oh, tweet, that's right. Um, y'all got some competition going on, is that right? Okay, so tweet during my speech so you can win during my speech, that would be so cool. That would make me very happy and I'll retweet stuff that you guys tweet. And we can be friends and followers and all that stuff. Um, OK, My, the topic that um, we sort of worked out together was how one person can make a difference. Because I wrote this kind of depressing book, um, The Divider-in-Chief. I wrote it um, back when I was hoping to have some impact on Barack Obama not becoming the divider-in-chief. Um, but he did. He was reelected for four more years of ripping the country in half. And um, so we're sort of looking at this bleak outlook. And and it is a little bit bleak. I I don't want to be depressing. So this is just the only, I hope, the only negative thing I'm going to, well, I'll probably say some other negative things. But um, it's kind of depressing. I woke up this morning after. Okay, Michelle mentioned Hillary Clinton, so it's fair game now to talk about the election. Um, but, you know, we're, I'm not, we're not political, and I'm not advocating any candidate, and I have no problem with that tonight, because I really am not advocating any candidate. It's very, I mean, I'm having a hard time thinking about what I'm going to do when I walk into that voting booth. I know what I'm going to do, and you guys probably do too, but it's going to be painful. And by the way, I care about the Supreme Court, so I will not be casting that vote for one person in in particular. And by the way, when a woman does become president, I want it somebody who we can honor and respect and who tells the truth. So, Probably one of you. That will be so awesome when it is one of you. Although it's kind of bleak right now. I mean, the the other guy running for president, I read yucky stuff last night and I look at probably the same stuff you do and I think I think we're in for a bumpy ride from here on out. Those of us, you know, who uh anyway, it's going to be it's going to be tricky. And the one thing that I do I won't go off on a tangent on this for too long, Michelle, but for those of us who care about conservatism, I think if you conservatives decide you're going to support Donald Trump that's, and I'm not advocating that but if you do decide you're going to please be very clear in telling people because people are looking at you all you are leaders on college campuses or as Michelle said you're going to be when you go back you're gonna be these leaders they are looking to you to understand what what is conservatism and what makes it so great If you go out there and champion Donald Trump, and that's fine, you should be active, you should be champions, you should um, be involved, please distinguish the fact that he is not a conservative. Because it would be tragic for our movement. I mean, I think he's probably the lesser of two evils, and I think there's a chance that he will um, put people on the Supreme Court who will protect the First and Second Amendment. I know Hillary Clinton will put people on Um, the court who will gut the First and Second Amendment. So there's a chance with him, but he, Rush Limbaugh said it, I agree with him. I've thought it all along. When you listen to Donald Trump's nomination speech at the Republican National Convention, he was advocating bigger government. And bigger government means the bigger the government, the smaller the individual. That's not what we believe in. We don't need a president to be God and to fix all of our problems. What we need a president to do is what Ronald Reagan talks so eloquently about, and that is getting government out of our way so that individuals can rise up and pursue their dreams without all the regulations and red tape that keep us from becoming the people we are meant to to be. So just make sure, if you are advocating for Donald Trump, go for it. But please tell people he is not a conservative. And next go around, we are hoping and praying for an outspoken, courageous conservative to represent our true values. Okay. You see, I get off on these tangents, that was not what I wanted to say. But anyway, um, what I wanted to say was no matter how bleak the outlook is, each one of you can make an enormous difference. I mean, you hear so often people say, oh my god, your parents probably, or the friends of your parents say, it is such a mess, I give up, there's nothing I can do, one person cannot make a difference. Oh, you are about to show them that one person most definitely can make a difference, and I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about how you can make a difference. And the very before I get, Michelle talked about my dad, and that's you were perfect. We did not coordinate, but I wanted to talk a lot about him tonight and how he gave me some of the tools to try to go out there and make a difference. But the first thing I wanted to say in terms of making a difference, where you are now on the college campuses, and there is no more important battleground in the entire country than college campuses. Because right now on college campuses, You all are being completely shut down, or there's an attempt to completely shut you down, to silence you in the name of political correctness. Now I ask you right now to completely and totally reject the drivel, the complete nonsense that is political correctness. Speech codes, free speech zones, trigger warnings, sensitivity training, bias incident review committees. This call for civility in our discourse, it is anathema to freedom. And you need to let that sink in deeply because you are being told right now that what colleges are trying to do is promote kindness and goodness and let's just Yes, we want people to talk, but there are certain lines that we do not want you to cross. We don't want people's feelings to be hurt because this is a college campus after all, and feelings, feelings are very important. Words matter, you hear that a lot, words matter. And we have to be very careful that we don't step on anybody's toes. That is complete and total BS. And you all need to call it that. You are on college campuses for Pete's sake. That is where you're supposed to offend some people. You're supposed to step on some toes. You're supposed to say exactly what you think. You're supposed to say what you think wherever you are. If you you believe it firmly and you want to share it, you should be able to speak the words. You know what, if somebody says something genuinely hateful, and somebody really believes some hateful, dark stuff and they have these plans in their mind about how they're gonna become elected and they want to implement this evil vision, you want them talking about that. You want them, you wanna know what they think, primarily so that you can use your good sense and your um, compassion and your energy to combat those ideas. It's when we are silenced that no longer do we have the free and open exchange of ideas that is the very premise for our nation. This notion that this is kind and good and respectful, please reject that. Don't fall for that. You all are kind and good people, and none of us like to be called these nasty names. The nasty names, by the way, that you've been conservatives have been called on college campuses for decades, but Barack Obama really made it acceptable. When he started calling his opposition, the conservatives opponents, he started calling them enemies. And he started, he called them terrorists. And he said that they don't care about children with Down syndrome, or um, with uh, defects, or old people. When he crossed that line, he, he no longer said, and the Democrats and the liberals no longer say, All right, we have policy differences with you. And this is why we disagree with you on, say, raising taxes. We think they should be raised because so and so. No, they say that Republicans or conservatives, because Republicans don't always agree with conservatives. That's for sure. But that conservatives are evil because of what they think. They are morally flawed. So um, because we want to keep taxes low, we hate Um, poor people and we love rich people, but we actually hate poor people and we want to keep them down. Um, If you uh, support uh, the right of babies not to be aborted, then you hate women. It's not that you have a compassion for um, those who are the most defenseless among us, but you actually hate women. If you want um, immigration to be legal and safe, then you hate anybody who doesn't look like you do. It's this the shift, you see the shift has taken place. The reason is they cannot combat our, our position with ideas and so they have to vilify anybody who disagrees with them. And once they convince people that anybody who wants to keep taxes low hates poor people, they've done their job. So now if uh, Paul Ryan, who very courageously a couple years ago said, okay we're gonna reform entitlements he was very brave by the way when he did that and that was before he sort of became a little squishy but he was so courageous when he did that reform entitlements oh my gosh nobody you're not allowed to say that so he came out there and he said we're going to reform entitlements we're headed towards bankruptcy as a nation i know i'm going to fall off of here any minute now by the way (laughs) So uh, he said, this is what we need to do. And you know what? Instead of engaging in an open conversation about the pros and cons and what we need to do to actually save um, our entitlement programs Social Security, um, Medicaid, the uh, liberals did this ad. One ad. One ad is all it took. Pushing this li- a, a, a Paul Ryan lookalike, pushing this little old lady up a hill and shoving her off a cliff. It was a very graphic and disturbing ad. You know what happened? Completely shut down the entire notion of reforming our entitlements. That was it. The Republicans, so-called cons- Republicans, the so-called conservatives, they ran as fast as they could in the other direction. What they should have done is said, we're not going anywhere. Who's pushing the little old lady off the cliff? It's the people who want to drive, right, I know. It's the people who want to drive um, our entitlements out of existence and put us into bankruptcy. Those are the people who want to shove, because what are you going to do with all the little old ladies when you have no more entitlements? But no, we ran as fast as we could in the other direction. So that's this is that political correctness that has become part of not only college campuses, but now our society. You guys have to take it on in that microcosm where you are where it's just this hotbed of hatred coming from the left I mean the stuff that they come out with and the way they're trying to shut you down and silence you should be so offensive to you that if you dare speak outside the political orthodoxy you say something that contradicts what their leftist um, sort of rabid uh, craziness is then you guys are hateful please Stop, turn around, and combat those ideas one after another with your reason and with your courage. And that's probably the most important characteristic that you're going to need in order to be able to take on the political correctness police that are running amok on your campuses. And you, okay, those guys, I'm sorry, Steve is the one man in this room. So when I trash um, guys or when I say something negative, it's not, I'm not criticizing men really, but just a little bit. Um, <laughs> You all are the ones who are gonna need to give the fellas in your club some courage, okay? Because you'll notice when you say, hey, let's bring Ann Coulter to campus. They're like, oh my gosh, and they run because they're so scared. Because they're the ones, they're gonna be called sexist for bringing some of these conserved, Michelle Malkin, yeah, you have fun with that. You gotta bring people like Michelle Malkin in. But sometimes the guys get a little nervous about it. So you guys are gonna have to be the ones with backbones. So let's talk about The tools that you need at your disposal to be able to stand up and to truly make a difference. I know each and every one of you can make a difference. Some of you are a lot more confident. Some of you are um, not so. And I'll tell you, I was not confident when I was in college. I'm the perfect example of somebody who totally had to fake it. The fact that I had to stand up and say what I thought, even though I truly was terrified. And a lot of you are going to be truly terrified, but that's okay. You still have to do it. You we really don't have a choice because I know you guys are here because you believe in something bigger than yourself. And that's what I really want to talk about. Look, we got to each one of us has to look inside ourselves to find the courage and to find the tools that we need to be able to be that one person who makes a difference whether it's a small difference or a huge difference. You kind of got to look inside yourself and Michelle brought up my dad and really that's what I wanted to talk about a little bit tonight was as I was thinking about, you know, what are the characteristics and how did I how did I get any of the characteristics? A lot of it is how we were brought up and the people we looked to and our role models. And my father, I was, the, I was that kid. I was the really kind of dorky kid. I was, as Michelle said, I was just nine. And I was the youngest. But I was the one who went with him to all of his speeches. I loved it. I mean, I hung on every word. I listened. Just like I loved Ronald Reagan. Remember, just hanging. There are some people who speak with this passion that isn't made up. You know, a lot of the times now, Hillary Clinton is full of it. She does not believe in anything she says. You know she doesn't. She's just winging it because she doesn't have that that passion deep inside. I wish that we had more of those truly passionate leaders now. Ronald Reagan, you believed every word that came out of his mouth. Margaret Thatcher, she deeply believed in what she was saying. My father was so passionate about what he said, and the reason is, he believed in something bigger than himself. He wasn't out there championing himself. He was out there championing freedom. And he actually wrote it down, which I think is kind of weird, but cool. So write down what it is. It always blew my mind, and I still haven't done it yet. If you're gonna ask me what my what I've written down for my guiding, that's why I'm sort of ADD. I'm all over the place, I need to write it down. So his guiding purpose in life was In fact, it's on his gravestone. It's the most important goal in my life is to have some significant impact on expanding and preserving the realm of personal freedom in the life of this country. So that was like seared into him. And so everything he did, whether it was what he was teaching his children, or the speech that he gave, or the person he saw at church, or at the grocery store, or wherever, It was all about freedom. I mean, he was fun and he was funny, don't get me wrong. He wasn't like an automaton. But he he knew what his purpose in life was. And when you know what your purpose in life is, when somebody starts hurling the invective at you, the name calling, because they will call you guys every nasty name in the book. But when you believe in freedom or you believe in whatever that guiding principle is, who cares? It just rolls right off. You're like, seriously? You think that touches me? You know, I have, I have a purpose in life, and I'm going to pursue that purpose no matter what names you call me. The other thing about somebody who is that passionate is they're authentic. And I think that's something we're really kind of losing here, particularly now I'm not opposed to social media. I'm on it all, and I'm on it all way too often, although I did just remove Facebook from my phone this week because I'm on it way too often. So I do think that it's putting up kind of a veneer, and we're not being. As authentic as we possibly could be. When you're out there being courageous conservatives, you need to be authentic. And that means not perfect. You don't know it all when you go out there. I don't think people want to um, want for their champions to be these perfect, impossibly attainable um, beings. They just, we're we're normal, we're real, we're authentic. And and we make mistakes. And we uh, we screw up sometimes, but they know that we're being genuine, that we truly believe in what we're saying. Now, I do not want you to confuse um, uh, being well. Actually, I do. Being authentic is close to humility. That's another big one that we need to have. And um, because who wants to follow some? You know those politicos on your campuses who are so full of themselves. You know the ones I'm talking about. They are just full of themselves. They've met you know, Mitt Romney and so and so and so and so and they think that they are hot stuff. And you're like, Ugh. And nobody wants to listen to them. Nobody wants to follow them. They want to run as fast as they can because they're just obnoxious human beings. Because their, their entire cause, I know you are all thinking about somebody, some college Republican. I know it right now you are. I remember the ones from my campus too. Okay, so it's become about them. And let me tell you, it is so easy to cross over from becoming humble to becoming full of yourselves. Because you guys are going to go out there, and when you are a woman in the conservative movement, the left hates you, but the conservative movement loves you. And you will be lifted up, and you will be told you are hot stuff, and you are it. And suddenly, and if you're on Fox News, trust me, I've been there, if you're on Fox News, you're really, you know, it's tempting. You really start thinking, ooh, I got this. You know, they put the makeup on, and you're looking good in your dresses, and you it does sort of start to become about you. Now, I'm going to tell you just one little story. Um, I should probably stop telling this story, but um, because it's rather embarrassing, but it's true. It's about how I crossed that line into Little Miss Prima Donna, and I thought I, it was about me. Just suddenly it became about me. So I, was, um, I had become Republican Party of Virginia chairman, the first woman, which was pretty cool, although it meant nothing to me. But um, it meant so much to so many women that suddenly I woke up. And it, it is important when we attain these leadership roles as conservatives um, as women. So I have learned to take that a little more seriously. So when when I was chairman of the Republican Party of Virginia, I got one of the perks is that you get to go to the national convention. And you get to meet the president. And I'd met, this was George Bush was running for re-election. So I was participating in the campaign. I'd met him a couple times. So I sort of was starting to think I was pretty cool. I'd met the president. He knew my name. And I went to the convention. <clears throat> And um, I did. They, they treat you like you are a, can- a queen. So, uh, you know, everybody's paying attention, and to me. So um, I go to the first outing of the Republican National Committee. This is the first time the entire Republican National Committee is getting together. And we get to ride through New York City like royal, royalty. They shut down the streets. We get to drive everywhere. Everybody's you know waving at these important people on the buses. So I get to the meeting place. Um, I make, I make my grand entrance, everybody is there waiting and I am the last person. So well, and I'm by the way, the youngest by far, I really have no business being there, but I thought I was pretty nifty. So I get there late and I am walking along, I had, um, Of course, I was young and didn't have any money and borrowed all of my sister-in-law's clothes, but I was looking really cute in her little suit, her brand-new suit, and I had these darling little pumps on and a nice tan on my legs, so my legs looked really good. And it was funny because it was at this hotel, and the escalator to the exit is up high, and you go down the escalator to get to the door where you go out to meet the bus. So in this little area at the bottom of the escalator is every member of the Republican National Committee and their spouse. And they are dripping in their diamonds and all of their stuff. And they, I'm, they are just, now they are probably it. So I get to the top of the escalator. I'm like, woo, look at me. I'm here, and everybody's looking up. Everybody's looking up. So I put my foot on that top step of the escalator, fall all the way to the bottom all the way. I mean, it's one of those horrible moments I could not stop. It's like I'm reaching and trying, but I make it all the way to the bottom and I look up and there are all these horrified faces. You know, mouths open just staring. I know, it was horrible. It was just one of those moments and I'm at the bottom and I just look up and all I could do was burst out laughing and just look up and say, I got it. I got it. I'm with you now. And the, okay, so the entire, I, I got the message. And it was, it's never been about me since then. It doesn't get any more embarrassing. But the entire week of the Republican National Convention, I walked around in all the cute little short skirts that I borrowed from my sister in law with these bruises, lines of bruises from the escalator all down my legs. I mean, that was a constant reminder. No, it was really good for me. And that's why I can tell you this story. So, humility is really key. And if you lose it, you are in big trouble because you will be reminded. And it will be painful and embarrassing, so you can thank me for this little story. Um, Okay, the other thing I read my parents, oh my gosh, my parents taught this, they just drilled this into my head, is to be gracious. Um, There are a lot of people who are pretty effective at what they do in terms of championing our message by being not very gracious. Y'all know anything about Smith College? And the topic was the failures of feminism. Okay, right. And it was because Michelle Easton broke her leg or something and made me go to Smith College. I mean, there are like, they are nightmares there. They come out with, yeah, they have their pies ready to throw in my face, everything. So I am flying on this rattling little plane up there. It was terrifying and I had already written this speech, and it was red meat, baby. I was ready to go in there and let them have it right between the eyes, because I'm like, what the heck, why not? I mean, I'm going to talk about the failures of feminism at Smith College, so I might as well. I'm gonna go for it. I'm flying up in this rattly plane, and okay, this is maybe too sappy, but um, I was doing a Bible study right at that time, and the subject of our Bible study was Barnabas, who is the gracious saint. So as I'm you know, perfecting my red meat speech, I'm thinking, Barnabas, the gracious saint, the gracious, be gracious, be gracious. It's just going in my head. I'm like, I don't really want to be gracious. I want to let him have it because I've got some things to say. Radical feminism really ticks me off. Because I think it totally puts women down. I think it has been the most pernicious element on college campuses in terms of totally objectifying women. Supposedly, the whole feminist movement was about not objectifying women. Women have never been more objectified, particularly on college campuses, than they are right now. They have totally dehumanized women and turned them into total sex objects. The whole hookup culture, all that blunting. Please, by the way, don't fall for it. I mean, you all. You all are so worthy and you need to remember that. And that this atmosphere that has sort of grown on college campuses, it is not worthy of you. You should be respected and you should demand respect as a human being. And you should demand to be honored as a human being. Anyway, um, that was a little tangent. Um, So I'm on the plane, you know, rattling along, red meat, gracious saint, gracious saint. So, and Michelle would have loved my red meat speech, by the way, she would have loved it. But I get, as I'm going, I'm like, fine. I will change this entire speech. I ripped it up and I started over, and I went in with a completely different spirit. One of, you know what, I'm actually gonna try to win some hearts and minds. I'm actually gonna try to use reason and graciousness, and uh, we'll see what happens. So I go in there, they are rabid. I mean it was, I was so nervous because there was an entire room and they had their whole strategy planned. I I found this out afterwards. There was a whole group of like 20 of them that were gonna turn up, stand up, turn their backs on me and walk out of the room. There were some who were even thinking about like throwing things. Um, I I think that might actually be really cool one of these days, you know with cell phones if somebody gets that. But anyway, so I give my talk And um, nobody gets up to leave. And at one point, one of the girls in the middle of the group of 20 that were gonna get up to leave starts doing this. She's like, yeah, yeah. And all the girls around are like, stop it, stop it. Oh my gosh. So the speech came to an end and the poor beleaguered college Republican advisor at Smith College, you know, a professor who had the guts to be college Republican advisor, poor man. I mean, I'm surprised he wasn't driven out of there. But he came up to me, and, he, and we had great question and answer and all that stuff. He came up to me and said, Kate, you won them with your graciousness. I'm like, wow.
0: <laughs> that is
1: really cool. I'm not making that up. He said, graciousness. And I thought that that was an amazing thing. And ever since then, I, when I go onto these very hostile, you're, you're many of yours, very hostile college campuses, I use some graciousness because I, I do. We want to win people over. We want to bring them over to our side. Um, so I, I try a little graciousness, but you've also got to be courageous. That's just number one, the most important. If you don't have courage, you're never gonna stand up for what you believe in. And what, is, what does that courage look like? It's, it's some, the first step in being courageous on campuses is raising your hand in a class and disagreeing with the professor. It is something that basic, and that is super hard, I know it, but it is super important, and you know what? You will get. You will say, I don't know what, whatever the subject is. You know, um, I actually, I actually believe that um, global warming is a theory and it's not a proven fact. Y'all might all disagree with me. They might have totally. We might have lost that one by now. Um, oh my gosh. Or um, I, this is a really big one. Uh, I believe marriage to be between a man and a woman. Oh my gosh. And you just go like this. Or um, I believe that immigration, that illegal immigration it poses. Um, a threat to our national security. How about that one? And people will look at you like, oh my gosh, did she just say that? Oh my gosh. And you'll get this, and the professor will probably shut you down. But I promise you, there are people in that room who agree with you. And they just don't have the guts to stand up and say it. Or there are people who have never ever heard that perspective expressed. And suddenly, they're going to start thinking, oh my gosh, there is an alternative. There is another way to think about things. That is a hugely impactful moment that you have just had. That is dramatic change that you, one person, has just affected not just in that classroom. I promise you it's going way beyond that classroom. I have gotten letters from college students who've said they have done that one thing and then they have had people come up to them and tell them, I'm so glad you said that because I totally agree with you. Or they've had 10 people come up to them after a class and say, I'm so glad you said that, I totally agree with you. Try it and see if that isn't the same result that happens Now, in terms of finding that, I mean, that's just one step, by the way, you do that and then you've got a lot of other steps to do, which I know Michelle um, and her speakers today have talked to you about, her staff will help you with what you need to do on your particular college campus, tailoring activism on your campus to what will be most effective on your campus. But the question is, okay. I'm I'm totally terrified, I have no idea, there is no way I am going to stand up and say what I believe in. Listen, my first year of college, I like cried every day, I was terrified to walk on the campus, it was really hard. So if any of you are sitting there going, I am totally insecure and I'm never gonna do this, I was right there with you. So where do you find the courage to stand up for what you believe in? I think the best way to do that is to look at heroes and champions who have been courageous in the past. Now I am not gonna go off like I normally do for those of you who have heard me talk before on the Founding Fathers, however, they are the best source for finding freedom if you look at some of our Founding Fathers and you're like, eyes are glazing over, I know. Listen, they were gonna so lose and they were all gonna hang, every single one of them and yet they were willing to do that so that all of us could be sitting right here today. It was a radical, unheard of concept that individuals should have liberty, that liberty comes from God. That hadn't happened before. That it's not government that gives you all liberty, but God actually gives it to you, and only you can give it away. Only the people in whatever level of government we're talking about can say, okay, I'll give you, the government, that degree of freedom to keep us safe, or whatever. Whatever, or to you know collect our garbage, whatever. But we have to decide. Now, it's not Barack Obama's right, through executive fiat, again and again and again, to usurp our liberty, but he has been doing that. And I promise you, Um, The other liberal, the liberal running right now is gonna do the same thing, but like on steroids. So you just have to brace yourself. So I'd love to talk about the founding fathers, but I talk about them too much. So I, I actually tried to find some other people to talk about because some of you have heard me talk so many times. Okay, I'm not gonna, I also talk about Ronald Reagan all the time. Please go look up the speeches of Ronald Reagan. When Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall, we all think, yeah, yeah, speechwriters wrote that. That's fine. It was all, you know, all part of the big plan. No, it wasn't. Every single national security advisor on every level of government, they crossed that line out and said, Mr. President, you may not say that. And they were adamant. They said, I know I'm not supposed to tell the president what to do, but you may not say that. That is going to wreak incredible damage. on on our national security and on the state of the world. And Reagan's like, are you kidding me? That's why I'm here. And it was an incredibly courageous moment. It was a shocking moment when he said that. But what did he do for the the, the entire world that had been cut off from humanity, that was um, imprisoned behind the Iron Curtain? He gave them hope and he changed the world. He ultimately, by that one courageous line in addition to all of the other courage that he had expressed in dealing with Gorbachev, he gave them their freedom. You have to stand up to people who are telling you, don't do that, don't say that, you're gonna offend people when you know it is right and good and the thing that should be said, you say it and you deal with the consequences. But one of the consequences is gonna be great hope and it's gonna be great change affected. Phyllis Schlafly just died, oh my goodness. I can't think of anybody who was more courageous when she stood up against the ERA amendment. That took incredible courage and one woman mustered enough support to turn back the Equal Rights Amendment. And if you don't know about the, I mean, don't be thinking, she turned back equal rights. It was a superfluous law that was actually going to denigrate women and take away our rights as opposed to giving us rights. Um, Star Parker, uh, speaker for um, Claire Booth Luce and in the calendars, what an incredible example of courage. She was on drugs, she had had multiple abortions, um, she was on welfare, and suddenly she turned her entire life around. And now she takes on the black community. They call her the most horrific names. She takes on Black Lives Matter. She takes on um, liberals who call conservative black Uncle Tom. She takes them on and she champions freedom no matter what people say about her. An incredible example of courage, Sarah Palin, a lover. She, I mean, she just like runs towards the fire. She's been completely destroyed uh, by, the, by the media and by the leftists, but she is incredible. But I don't know what I was looking at on um, social media, and uh, every now and then up pops something that changes her life, that it's just this incredible story. I, I'm so embarrassed to say that I had never, ever heard of this one courageous, young warrior, she was 21 when she died. Her name was Sophie Scholl. Have you all ever heard of her? Some of you, okay, I had neither. So thank you for those of you who said no because I'm so embarrassed that I didn't know about her. Sophie Scholl was part of the White Rose, which was a resistance movement, a resistance group. They were like six kids um, during World War II and they were in Munich. And they, were, they went to college at Munich, in the University of uh, Munich. And they put out six pamphlets. Sophie was just, she was 19 when she started. And they just wrote these pamphlets to sort of wake people up to what the Germans were doing. Sophie was dating this boy who was sent to the Russian front. And he would write Sophie these, uh, these letters about how um, the Nazis were executing Russian prisoners of war, putting them in mass graves and then shooting them all which of course is a violation of every possible covenant um, just slaughtering them and she w- he would send back all these stories of atrocities told her about the murder of the Jews which of course was beginning to seep out and so Sophie, her brother and um, a few other courageous young men said, well you know we have a call you can't just sit back and not do anything when you see, evil happening. Even though a lot of people knew evil was happening in Germany and sat back because they knew they would die if they were exposed. Well, Sophie and her brother Hans knew they would die if anyone ever found out about these six pamphlets that they wrote and distributed at the university. It was the sixth pamphlet that they wrote that they, they, you know, distributing them was a little different than we do now, but they just threw them down a stairwell at the university. So people would see them, they threw them, and they ran. Well, a janitor saw them throwing them, and he turned them in. And that same day that the janitor went to the authorities and turned them in, um, Sophie and her brother Hans were arrested. Two days later, they were tried in Munich. Um, by this just rabid Nazi judge. And of course, he found them guilty. During her, um, during her trial, Sophie said this little, I mean, she was diminutive. She was this little thing. Um, Sophie said during her trial, somebody, after all, had to make a start. What we wrote and said is also believed by many others. They just don't dare express themselves as we did. So they just had the courage to say what they truly believed. So they were tried, they were found guilty, and two hours later, Sophie and her brother Hans and one other member of the White Rose were executed by guillotine. This little 21-year-old girl had her head cut off because she wasn't willing to stand back and let others lose their freedom just so she she could live. When her brother Hans was going to the guillotine, he shouted out, let freedom live. Isn't that awesome? There was not an ounce of regret in what they did. When Sophie, right before her execution, this is what she said. How can we expect righteousness to prevail when there is hardly anyone willing to give himself up individually to a righteous cause? such a fine, sunny day, and I have to go. But what does my death matter if through us thousands of people are awakened and stirred to action? Now you might think, okay, so she died and was gone. She made no, you know, was that really worth it? Well, the Allies somehow got a hold of that sixth pamphlet and dropped millions of them over Germany to try to increase the resistance. And t- today, Sophie and her brother are, have been voted as the fourth most influential Germans of all times. They have had a massive impact, they didn't just have a massive impact on the war. But on Germany. I mean, the recovery of Germany, they have somebody to cling to who had some morality and courage to stand up and champion liberty. The other um, the, a more modern example of courage, and I know um, one of these is considered probably a liberal. So sorry, I don't. You don't have to agree with everything everybody agree, uh, everybody believes. You can still look to people and see the good in them. That's what the liberals do, by the way. They reject us out of hand because of what we believe. We look for the good in people. We look for the ideas. We want to learn what other people think. Anyway. Um, I think a current example of great courage, I'm, I'm so excited to watch how this turns out, um, but Amal Clooney, um, George Clooney's wife, I hate to refer to her as George Clooney's wife because she is this incredible national human rights lawyer and has this international reputation. But Amal Clooney and Nadia Murad, have y'all heard of them? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. You know I'm, isn't that so cool? I know. So, For those of you who don't know, Amal has taken up the cause of Nadia, who was 19 when she was in her village in Iraq, and um, she's a Yazidi Christian, and ISIS came in and of course decimated them, killed all the men, uh, killed them all. Her six brothers executed right in front of her, her mother was killed, and Nadia and other girls in the village were taken as sex slaves. Um, 7,000 young women have been taken, and girls, I mean little girls, have been taken as sex slaves uh, by ISIS, which um, you know, Barack Obama can't even bring himself to condemn them half the time as the radical jihadists and radical Islamists that they are. But Amal Clooney has said, you know, dropping bombs is, is an important part of what we're doing. But that's not enough. You can't kill an idea that way. So she is taking ISIS to international court. Okay, and you say, well, really, come on now, that's not gonna that's not gonna do anything. Yes, it will. We as a as a world seem to be ignoring the travesties perpetrated on these young women. I mean even in the, not even just ISIS, although that's the most flagrant example. Nadia has been raped so many times, she can't even count them, often by two people at once until she is unconscious. Uh, These these little girls are being mutilated. These women are being mutilated. They are having every violent, every possible act of violence perpetrated on them. And we as a world seem to be standing back and saying, okay, you know, that's happening. And people like Hillary Clinton don't condemn, they condemn that, but they don't condemn what's happening under radical Islam. That the fact that women can't walk out of their houses without um, a male escort, um, that women are being stoned to death for having the audacity to want an education or to walk out without um, their uh, complete covering. It makes me ill that we, that. The supposed champions of women don't even have the guts to stand up and say something um, about the fact that women around the world, many, in many countries have no liberty. And then we make up offenses in this country for why we women should be so offended. It's amazing to me, but Amal, Amal Clooney has said, very frankly, she realizes that her life is in jeopardy now because she will be targeted. Nadia has said, um, she knows that they are coming for her. They have said, we will come and get you and we will do everything to you. She could disappear. She could just go into oblivion, get her life back and live a life, but she won't do it because she said, I cannot do it. When I will, She said, I will have no life if I don't help others who are where I was. That is incredible courage and you know what? We are not, you and I are being called to be courageous and not in terms of giving our lives. Thank the good Lord in heaven, not yet at least. All we are being asked to do is stand up and champion a set of ideas that are in true jeopardy right now, the notion of freedom, the fact that you all are inhibited from saying what you really think on college campuses, that means freedom is in jeopardy. It's something that we need to wake up to. And in our own small ways, and I hope in really big ways, each one of us will take a deep, long look inside. We will equip ourselves with what we need, and that includes knowledge. But don't wait until you're fully equipped with knowledge. Go out there with what little you have, even if, it, even if you feel unco- uncomfortable about it and lack confidence. Go out there with what you have. But we are being called to go out there and be champions, to be that one person who makes a difference in our classroom, in our campus, in our cities, and definitely in our country. There is a desperate need for courageous champions right now. That is why you all are here. You've taken that first step to become those courageous Crusaders for Liberty. I want to just say thank you for coming and for taking that first step and please take the next step. Be the Sophie Sholes. be the Amal Clooney's, be the Patrick Henry's. Just stand up for this gift of liberty so it won't disappear, so our children will still have it. We can pass it along, not only intact, but as my dad said, expanding the realm of freedom in the life of this country. Thank you all so much, God bless you. A couple questions. Your oh, definitely. Tell me all of that. Water. Can I have my water? well thank you so much your speech was extremely inspiring thank you this uh this great event this weekend um so without violating the 501c3 tax says um, bring it on i'm saying the greatest conservative so i'm just curious oh. did you support ted cruz in the primary or were you uh, did i support ted cruz actually i supported rubio i thought he was the more uh okay I will say I love Ted Cruz, and when Rubio got out, I I definitely was supporting Ted Cruz. Um, I've loved Ted Cruz since he stood up and um, insisted that the government be shut down, which I knew really ticked a lot of people off. Actually, my brother was up for an election that year and probably lost the election because of um, Ted Cruz, because a lot of people were ticked off at conservatives, Republicans, because of that. I thought it was awesome. It's why we send these people to Congress. And yet he's the only one who had the guts to stand up um, for not raising uh, the debt limit again and again and again. So yeah, I definitely like Ted. Come on, somebody. Okay. Hi. um
0: In the united states because we can't have so many of the freedoms that we have where
1: you know our safetys at risk it's the greatest threat obviously terrorism islamic terrorists coming into this country um infiltrating this country i don't think that we're doing enough um certainly under obama with him completely opening our borders and uh, letting people in and then Um, granting people citizenship instead of deporting them, who obviously should be deported. I think there's something truly sinister going on, and I think there has been a complete disregard for our national security in the guise of compassion. Now look, I'm a big fan of legal immigration. In fact, I think we should let as many people in as we possibly can. I agree with Ron on that, uh, Ron Robinson on that, Uh, but, I believe it should be legal. I believe there are people all over the world who have been waiting, um, spending their life's fortunes to get into America legally, and we're completely ignoring them. We're not streamlining the process or making it any easier. So I do think that we should be a welcoming nation. We always have been a welcoming nation. But that doesn't mean I think we should let terrorists in. I think we should be extremely careful about who we let in, that we should have a very thorough vetting process, and I don't think that we've had that so far. Um, Remember the flood of immigrants that came across the Mexican border? That was appalling. I think another threat to our national security is um, the cyber threat, and I think uh, Hillary Clinton, if there, I can think of no, um, more devastating example of a threat to our national security than Hillary Clinton. I mean, it's amazing her complete and utter lack of regard for the need of our national security um, personnel to be protected. She was, she's all about Hillary. She's all about personal profit and she's all about um, electoral success and she's willing to sacrifice anything and anybody to get that. Anybody else? Yes? One over here? Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Mari Mogul. I work the University of Alabama. Um, I was wondering, we talked a lot this weekend about biases that we've faced as conservative women. What's the
0: biggest challenge you've faced as a conservative?
1: Women? Oh, the biggest challenge. <clears throat> I think just the typical pushback, actually the biggest challenge I've faced, ironically, well not ironically, I think quite naturally, has been from Democrats, Um, liberals, sorry Michelle, liberals, (laughs) Um, putting me down. I remember when I was uh, appointed to a state council of higher education in Virginia, you have to be approved by the General Assembly to be on the state council. And I was, I was young, but I had worked in public policy. I'd worked for the governor. I'd been his public policy advisor for education and health. So I was pretty qualified for this board um, for a university, overseeing our universities. And the um, the leading, he was a Democrat, leading Democrat in the General Assembly was quoted in the Richmond Times Dispatch saying, Kate Obenshain, what does, uh, licking envelopes and putting on stamps due to qualify you to be um, on the State Council of Higher Education, yeah, right. Because I had worked for campaigns, he assumed that I had been the one collating the papers and stuffing the envelopes, which by the way, I had. I had done all of that, but I had also done a lot of other things. I was proud of all of my uh, efforts on campaigns, but also then in, um, serving those who have been elected to office. So this sort of cynicism, and I think sexism often comes from, frankly, the other side. But I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes you will be belittled as women. You will be looked down on. You'll be patted on the head. When I was chairman of the party, I had I had congressmen say to me, "Do you know who I am?" and um, you know, Kate, everybody does it. You need to go ahead and, you know, break this law because it's no big deal. I'm not sure they would say that to a guy or not. But you know, when, and if they, I've had lots of people say, that's a cute dress you have on today. I don't get offended by that stuff, by the way. Um, if there is a genuine example of sexism, frankly, I get right in their face. And it rarely happens to me, by the way, because I put up this, aura of don't even think about messing with me. I, don't, I think there's something, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not flirty in the workplace, I'm very friendly, but I have, I am, I've got some sort of a wall that comes down, which I think you need to think about. Part of it comes from, now you're gonna think I'm being all prudish, but how we dress, And let me tell you, I dress like I'm a girl, okay? And I dress like this all the time. But I dress, I hope, appropriately. I don't show all my stuff. In the workplace, I don't think think that helps. We want people looking at our minds. Of course, who cares if people think you're an attractive woman? I think that's great. God made us women. And you know, there's nothing we can do about that. And might as well be beautiful and attractive and frankly, use it to your advantage. And I know that, gosh, I know, some people out there are gonna be flipping over this, but people do listen to women, and they listen to um, women when we smile. Gosh, and that's a lot of time. I've been up here tonight. I've realized something like this <laughs> because I really believe. But smile, and people are attracted to smiling women. Awesome, and they're attracted to smiling conservative women. Even better, we want people when they turn on. Um, Fox News, or they watch C-SPAN, and they go to a um, a a CPAC uh, panel. We want them to see all these gorgeous conservative women speaking articulately and making a heck of a lot of sense. And then they're like, Hey, not only is she beautiful, but she sounds great, and she's making sense. And maybe I'm a conservative too. Maybe they're all not a bunch of nut jobs, and not all a bunch of haters. And maybe I'm going to listen to them a little bit. So, frankly, if True, genuine sexism or a f- sexual assault, uh, please don't think I'm belittling that, I'm not. And I think women deserve uh, equal pay for equal work, which I frankly think we have. When you take into account the different fields that women go into and the different number of years, please do not buy into that disparity myth, even though Donald Trump's daughter brought it up at the National Convention in her speech. It ain't true, and there are statistics to back it up, that there is not this huge gender pay gap Um, what was my point okay uh, so I do think that when there are genuine examples of um, sexism that impact your ability to succeed in the workplace do something about it that's what human resources is all about do something or take it to the courts I mean if it's genuine go the legal route Um, but don't fall for these liberal platitudes about um, the need for uh, legislation to equalize. We are the great equalizers, by the way, and um, we can just use your, use your God-given gifts um, to achieve success in the workplace, but also be respectful of yourself and be respectful of uh, people around you. You're not gonna have any trouble uh, with uh, pig-headed, you know, the, those males who are pig-headed, and there are very few of them in the workplace now, in my experience. And if they're there, they're scared, and they're not going to say the nasty stuff that they would like to say. So don't worry about it. Um, And I think it's ironic that a lot of it does come from the left. Yes? Hi. Hi. I'm Julie Slava. I'm a junior at Yale University. Great. Um, What advice would you have for us women who are students at some of the more hostile universities where we must Keep in mind with her activism that it could you know, lead to personal attacks, lead to great drops, lead to even
0: um, questions of our own safety. I know Arissa, she went on Fox and Friends and she was on the receiving end of some threats.
1: Okay, if you're on the receiving end of threats, you need to tell Claire Booth Loose and you need to tell Young America's Foundation and it needs to go viral. It needs to be all over. You need to be back on Fox News. <laughs> and expose the fact that the oh-so-tolerant leftists are not tolerant at all, and we are facing threats when we dare articulate a different set of ideas. Look, the grade thing, I disagree with a lot of conservatives in the movement. I think you say what you believe, and if you get graded down, you pursue that. You don't just let it go and be like, oh my gosh, they gave me a C and I really deserved an A. You go to your professor and you say, you know that this is an A paper. If he doesn't agree, you go to the dean. If the dean doesn't agree, you go to the president. I mean, make sure you know it was an A paper, first of all. <laughs> and don't just go because you got a C. Um, but if you know that you got great, and usually it's pretty obvious because it's a controversial topic, and usually the minute you call them on it, they will cave and they will adjust that grade. Don't fake what you believe. I mean, do do what you need to do. But personally, I think you say what you believe and certainly you say it in the classroom. You can't fake being a liberal for four years and actually have an impact just so that you get a good grade. If they grade you down, you fight them on that. That is that courage that we're talking about. You say what you believe and you take them on. And if they come after you, You turn around and you go after them. There is no excuse for leftists coming after particularly conservative women. Use their rhetoric against them. Say, you are being intolerant, you are being sexist, you are um, offending me, you are scaring me, all my triggers are going off, or whatever it is. Let them know that they have crossed every line, but you've got, and then bring in a speaker to deal with the exact issue that they brought up. Don't let it go. Don't brush it under the rug. That's what they want you to do. You blow it up and make that the stand. You stake your claim and stand your ground on that particular issue. So those of you who are at the more liberal campuses, we need you to be even more courageous. You've got to stand up. When something happens at Yale, it will, people will take notice of it. When the conservatives take on the leftists because they know you're gutsy, Fox News is all over this stuff. And so you also get a national TV hit in the process. You can put that on your resume. I've been on a national um, television show as a, as a commentator. Um, even if it's just for one, one hit, you get to be that. So I would, don't ever run in the opposite direction. Anybody else, are we good? We're good. OK, you guys, um, I think I've said it enough, but I really, really just want to thank you. Michelle, do you have stuff to say after me? OK. I just want to thank all of you for your gutsiness and for being here. And for those of you who are still sitting here saying uh-uh, not happening, not going to be me, yeah, it will. Just come to the next conference. Come back. Read. Read about some of the great conservative champions. Read a book by Ion Hershey Ali. That will give you guts. I am infidel, you've read it? Is that not the most transformative book? I mean, it totally changed me, this gutsy woman who has lived in four radical Islamist nations and now is here in America under a fatwa. She's under death threats, and yet she still goes to college campuses and champions freedom, particularly for those who women who are stuck and being brainwashed um, in Islamic nations. You all, God bless you. Thank you. Stand strong for freedom. Thanks so much.